0: of Revelation really be understood amidst all the prophetic language and mysterious symbols? How is it relevant to the 21st century? What is the controversy between good and evil all about? How and when will it end? These and many other questions will be answered providing amazing clarity to the conditions we see in our world today. This seminar will bring you face to face with Jesus in a new and wonderful way, leading you to the most momentous decisions of your life. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the Book of Revelation. Here is your host, Pastor David Price.
1: Well, good evening, friends. It's my pleasure to welcome you to session number nine of the Revelation Prophecy Seminar series. And we have a great presentation for you tonight. And I'm going to ask you to join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these amazing truths that we'll find in your word tonight. We would again humbly ask for the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might understand your plan and your truth. um, Rightly divide the word of God tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome you for um, our session number nine, the Four Horsemen of Revelation. This really is not just about the Four Horsemen, but covers the seven seals. And one of the most wonderful things I think about this particular lesson is that it reminds us of the nearness of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our five discovery points this evening are, number one, who are the riders on the four horses? Number two, what are the colours of the four horses in their correct order? Number three, what does each colour mean? Four, where were the martyrs actually when their blood cried out to God? And number five, which seal of seals one to seven are we living in? right now and the obvious answer actually might not be the right answer well friends right here at the start of the lesson i want you to direct your attention to the screen i have some extra information that i want to share with you tonight we're asking so what is the main point of all the sevens in the book of revelation if we were able to have a flyover and a bird's eye view what would we find well, you might remember that we've already covered the seven churches in Revelation Seminar Lesson number five. So the seven churches cover the religious history of the Christian church. In our session tonight, we're looking at the seven seals, which cover also the political history during this time of the seven churches. And we are covering that tonight in Revelation Seminar lesson number nine. Well, have you remembered what the next seven is? How about this one, the seven trumpets? The seven trumpets actually cover the military history um, of this period, and we'll be studying that in Revelation Seminar lesson number 23. It's called Revelation's Pageant of Conquest and Defeat which leaves one final group of sevens for the book of Revelation. I'm wondering if you're remembering what that actually is. And the answer is, of course, that it is the seven last plagues. This is a solemn prophecy. It's a judgment prophecy against the wicked and those who seek to destroy God's people. And we will be covering that in the seven plagues of revelation in seminar lesson number 22. I'd now like to just contrast and compare the seven churches with the seven seals. I'm directing your attention to the screen as we share with you some extra information that's not found in the lesson. So friends, as we just said, the seven churches cover the religious history of the Christian church in the seven churches, The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of Revelation, denounces the church's errors and their heresies. He also gives out seven promises to overcomers. Now, you can take any of the four sevens of the book of Revelation and apply any abstract meaning to them. But I wanna tell you that this seminar uses a reliable method. In fact, the method of interpretation used in this series is called the historico-prophetic approach, which is based on the most ancient biblical methodology in that it is the most faithful application of the author's original intent. So that's a quick flyover of the seven churches. Let's have a quick flyover of the seven seals, our topic in this session. The seven seals actually cover the political history of the Christian church, the same time period as the seven churches. In this, Jesus condemns both the Roman Empire, which is killing his people, and also the medieval church, the Church of the Dark Ages, the Church of Rome's oppression, violence and persecution against God's true believers. So seal number one and horse number one are about conquest seal number two is about bloodshed seal number three covers the famine seal number four covers the advent of plagues and death seal number five covers the martyrdom of the saints seal number six is the time of the end which is signified by the arrival of four incredible signs on earth and seal number seven issues in the second coming of the lord Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of history of where we've been with the seven churches and a bit of an overview on where we're going in our lesson tonight. So again, I welcome you to Revelation seminar lesson number nine, which is the four horsemen of the book of Revelation. As I share with you the first page of our study guide, which is also available online on YouTube in the description bar, I'm going to direct your attention to the screen, thank you. Virtually everyone in the Christian world has heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But should you quiz 15 or 20 of your church friends, the odds are that none of them would have the faintest idea as to who these horsemen really are. So the four horsemen are part of the seven seals of the book of Revelation, and they're covered in chapters six and eight. These seals are seven symbolic views or word pictures of major conditions and events which face the people of God from the ascension of Jesus until his second coming. They cover the same time period as do the seven churches of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. These exciting and very significant views have been given us by Jesus himself. Hence, their importance cannot be overestimated. We must enter this study with much prayer for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as we endeavor to understand Jesus' special messages for us. Part of our study time tonight is this exhibit that comes with our lesson exhibit number one. And I'm hoping that you've had time to read that before we've done the lesson. For those watching online, you might like to pause the screen and you might like to have a look at the structure and the content of an overview of The Seven Seals. It's also wise to take some time to read through Revelation chapter 6 and also Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. Well, our first heading tonight is entitled The Symbols Explained. We're going straight into question 1 at the bottom of page 1. Thank you so much for joining us. Question 1 says, what do horses and riders often represent in Bible prophecy? So we're going back to Zechariah 1 and Zechariah chapter 6. The prophet Zechariah writes, I saw by night and behold a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. And behind him were there red horses, speckled and white. Now this is fascinating, folks, because these are some of the colours that we are going to encounter with our seven seals and our four horsemen tonight we're in zechariah 1 9 and 10 then said i zechariah the prophet O my lord what are these and the angel that talked with me said unto me i will show thee what these be verse 10 and the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said these are they whom the lord hath sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So these are angelic or spirit beings who are given jurisdiction on the earth. We now jump to Zechariah chapter 6 and I'm going to take you through verses 1 to 5. Once again, giving us a lot of background to the book of Revelation. Remember, the book of Revelation is a mosaic. It's a reconstruction of a lot of the Old Testament. The prophet wrote, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. So we have four chariots and four uh, uh, men there in the chariots. Let's have a look at verses two to four. Notice the colors. The first chariot had red horses, the second black. The third white and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my Lord? Verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord let's answer it. What do horses and riders often represent in prophecy? These are they whom the Lord have sent to walk to and fro in the earth. These are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So friends, the Old Testament provides a context. It provides some understanding of what we then read in the book of Revelation. I want to share with you the information at the top of page two. Please direct your attention to the screen. So what are these spirits? These spirits are angels from heaven. We know that in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. So Paul writes to the Hebrews church in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So there's our answer. This text plainly states that angels are ministering spirits sent by God to minister to his people upon the earth. In prophecy, these angels are sometimes represented as riders upon horses. The horses and riders of Revelation chapter 6 were, by their colour, dress and activities, cartooning or symbolising four distinctive and very important eras through which God's people would pass, beginning with the apostolic times. We're in question two. Who announced these four horsemen as they galloped upon the prophetic screen? Now, this is fascinating. And uh, this is uh, four heavenly celestial beings. And I saw when the land opened one of the seals and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying, come and see. So who announced these four horsemen as they galloped upon the prophetic screen? The answer is the four beasts announce each one of the four horses. These four beasts are also called in some translations four living creatures these living creatures have special responsibilities in heaven so if you have a look on the screen the artist has depicted them as the first beast a lion the second beast an ox or a bullock the third beast has a man's face and features the fourth beast is an eagle that takes us to our second heading and we are about to start the seven seals seal number one is about a re- is, is about a white horse and runs from 31 to 100 a.d let's go to second heading tonight the seven seals and question number three in the first seal how is the activity of the rider of the white horse described in revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. John writes, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. In the first seal, how is the activity of the rider of the white horse described? This first entity, this first rider, goes forth conquering and to conquer. This is a fitting symbol of the conquest of Christianity. Over the then known world, which was situated around the Mediterranean. What a fitting symbol for the church of the first century. So successful was God's church that before Paul died, he said that the gospel had been preached to the entire world. Check out Colossians 1, verses 5, 6, and 23. Now, white symbolizes purity, the purity of the church in Psalms 51.7 and Isaiah 1.18. What does the crown mean? The crown signifies victory in James 1.12, 2 Timothy 4.7 and 8, and 1 Corinthians 9.25. The bow symbolizes success in the battle against evil, Psalms 7 verses 11 and 12, and Psalm 45, 4, and 5. The white horse covers exactly the same time period as the Ephesus church. It's the first century AD. And, of course, Ephesus is the first of the seven churches, which runs from the time Jesus died on the cross, 31, to the end of the first century at 100 AD. Before we hurry on to the second seal, we need to summarize what we've learned in the first seal. Friends, we don't have time to go into huge detail on these seals, but I would encourage you to do more research on them yourself. Here is a brief summary and an overview and some extra information. So we know that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, opens the first seal. Did you know the victorious Roman generals rode on white horses in fact it's actually symbolic of jesus riding on the white horse in revelation 19 as he comes in the second coming now did you notice the detail here that the rider is departing and not arriving so this tells us that the history of christianity is just beginning and not ending so it is what is taking place to the uh, christian church in the first three centuries. At this time the church is still pure from politics, uh, compromise and violence but that's not going to last long. Did you notice the rider has a crown but he does not conquer using bloodshed. He has a bow also but he doesn't have any arrows so we're happy to say in the first seal that his victory is a peaceful one. Let's hurry on to the second seal. The second seal is typified and symbolized by a red horse and runs from 100 to 313 AD. During this time, something really bad happened. Question four, what did the rider of the red horse of the second seal do in Revelation 6, 3 and 4? And when he'd opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. This is the ox or the bullock. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. What did the rider of the red horse, the second seal, do? It's interesting, isn't it, that he took the peace that was raining during the first century and he took it and removed it from the earth, then there was to begin a great time where there was a killing of people, specifically God's people. Let me share with you the note. The color red of the second horse, fitly represents the bloody destruction and persecution of God's people by Rome during the second, third, and early part of the fourth centuries. Ezekiel 32, 6 and 11, Jeremiah 46, verse 10, Nahum 2 and verse 3. By this persecution, the peace of God's people was destroyed. So, friends, there you can see the Christians arrayed in the Colosseum, top right, and harassed by wild beasts, the lions. And then in the next uh, slide underneath, you can see not only being harassed and eaten by lions, but also being crucified and burned at the stake at the same time. And then the Roman soldiers beating somebody to uh, a bloody pulp. Friends, this is Rome's deadly persecution of Christians. And what about the sword? The sword is associated with war and bloodshed Isaiah 325 compared with 1 Chronicles 22 verse 8 the red horse covers the same time period as the Smyrna church the second church and so Smyrna is the second of the seven churches and its time period was 100 to 313 AD this was a fierce period of persecution of Christians by the Roman Empire. Before we hurry on to seal number three, we need to summarise what we've learned and have some extras on the second seal, a church with a blood-stained faith. This is the time of the red horse. The mission here is to remove peace from the earth and from the Christian church and to slay with a large sword. Red, of course, stands for bloodshed. This also covers the history of Christ's church as it goes from peacetime to wartime. Then the ox, the second beast, reminds us of the sacrifice and also of the bullocks in the Old Testament. Here the church is fighting for survival against the Roman state. And later the emperor Constantine will fight to protect the Roman state when he sees a vision of a cross in the clouds. And so he baptises his Roman army by running them through a river. But later, Constantine will corrupt the purity of the Christian church of the first century by bringing in paganism to build up the numbers and to support his government. So uh, the persecuted church rose up to even state office, but it wasn't much of a victory because it involved a creeping compromise and a dilution of the purity of the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We are going on to seal number three. Please join me at the top of page three. This is the third horseman, the black horse, of the time period 313 to 538 AD. What is going to happen to God's church at this time? As the third seal was opened, a black horse appeared. What does black actually symbolize? We go to Acts 26 and verse 18. Here, Paul is on trial for his faith, and he's recounting what Jesus said to him in the vision when Paul was struck down with blindness, and the Lord Jesus Christ confronted him and turned him into Paul instead of Saul. Jesus said to Saul at this time, the mission that Saul needed to follow was to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which is sanctified by faith that is in me. Friends, in John 8.12, Jesus said that he was the light of the world. If Jesus' symbol is light, then you can imagine that the opposite of light is darkness, and that is a fitting symbol for the devil and Satan. Here are some more words from Jesus in John 12 and verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while, Why, while the light is with you, walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that work walketh in darkness, knoweth not whither he goeth. Friends, if you've been out walking later in the afternoon and it starts to get dark and you don't have a light or a torch and you're not quite sure where you are, then fear and panic can grip the human heart. And so it's interesting here that we're looking at what does black symbolize under the black horse. The role of Christianity was to turn people from darkness to light, not from light to darkness. Jesus said, walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. Friends, repeatedly in the scripture, darkness or blackness symbolizes moral darkness, sin, apostasy, and error. The very opposite of the light of the gospel. The symbol is very fitting for the church during the fourth, fifth, and half of the sixth centuries, which is the Pergamos church period. When Christianity became the state religion, millions of unconverted people crowded into the church, popularity and compromise brought pagan errors into the church, which virtually crowded out the gospel. It's been my pleasure and privilege to have been to the Vatican in Rome and Italy twice. If some of you have been there or have good general knowledge, you may actually know who this is. This statue is in St. Peter's in the Vatican. So some of you will say that, yes, it must be St. Peter himself with the keys of the kingdom. But friends, it's actually the God Jupiter because Peter never had a silly hat like this God does, which symbolises the sun. He's irradiated by the sun. So friends, this is what Constantine did to build the numbers of the early Christian church and get them to support the government what happened was pagan gods were renamed as christian heroes so many people believe they're kissing the foot here of the statue of saint peter not dreaming that this is actually formerly the god jupiter this is a sign of the darkness of this period and this time question six what did the rider of the black horse have in his hand ran Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. It's hard to cover everything in the lesson, but some commentators see in this pair of balances a union of church and state joining together, which certainly is what actually happened during this period, the Roman Empire and the Christian church, which became the Church of Rome. Verse six, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Friends, if this is the third beast, then this is the beast with the features that looks like a man. What did the rider of the black horse have in his hand? The scripture very clearly tells us it was a pair of balances. What's going on here under the time of the black horse? The picture of verse 6 is of food being weighed during a terrible famine. A penny, which was a day's wages, could hardly buy enough food for one person. So let's just pause a moment and reflect on that. In the part of the world that we live in, an average wage is $1,305 per week. That's not for full-time. The full-time wage is around $1,700 per week, but an average wage including part-timers is $1,305 per week. A daily wage, dividing that by seven is $261 per day. I want you to think that you had $261 and you still didn't have enough money to feed yourself for one day. The note says, how could a man feed his family? Not to mention supplying the city, Sorry, not to mention supplying of their other needs. This famine also symbolizes an acute scarcity of the word of God in Amos 8, 11 and 12. Did you remember that Bibles were not available to the common man and the church stopped preaching the word? The result was a severe famine for hearing God's word. And the oil, of course, represents the Holy Spirit in Zechariah 4 two to six and the wine stood for jesus blood of the atonement as in matthew 26 27 to 29 these two precious gifts the oil and the wine were not to be lost sight of during the intense spiritual famine so the dates in this time are 313 to 538 a.d and this is the time of the black horse it also corresponds to the church of Pergamos where Satan's seat was. Do you remember me telling you about the altar of Zeus where animal sacrifices and Satanism was practiced? Some commentators actually say that there also were human sacrifices done at this place. So you can see the correlation between the church of the black horse and also the wickedness of those days. Let's summarize what we've learned about seal number three. This is the time of the black horse. This third horse brings in the darkness and scales stand for rationed food and a great famine. Also, you can go to Ezekiel chapter four and verse six. Did you notice that famine will often follow war and the lamb's voice orders preserving the oil, which is the Holy Spirit and the wine, which stands for the blood of Christ as in Revelation 6, 6. Did you know that grain, oil and wine are the three main food products of the land of Israel? I thought that was quite fascinating. They are what we would call staples. So here in this prophecy of the third horseman, the word of God, meaning the grain, is very, very limited meaning the medieval church, the Church of the Dark Ages, is not feeding its members with God's word. They're being starved. The oil and wine remain only by the gift of God's grace. But as the church grew materially and politically, it becomes more tradition-based. Finally, dogma replaces God's word, bringing more persecution on Bible believers as the church falls back on tradition and doesn't follow God's word. We're going on to seal number four, the pale horse. The time period is 538 to 1517, nearly 1,000 years. Join me for heading number three, Martyrs for Jesus, at the bottom of page three, and question number seven. What was the name of the rider of the pale horse of the fourth seal? And what followed? this horse we're going to revelation 6 verses 7 and 8 and when he had opened the fourth seal remember this is jesus christ the lamb i heard the voice of the fourth beast say come and see now notice here we've had the first beast or the celestial or living beings is the lion the second one is the ox or the bullock the third one is the man the fourth one is And eagle will comment on that very soon. Here is another artist's depiction of the lion, the uh, ox, the man, and the eagle, the four beasts, the four living creatures of Revelation chapter 6. So, friends, we go to Revelation 6 and verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Now, before somebody asked me, how can you kill with death? The word death would be better translated using the Greek word pestilence. People were killed via pestilences. In other words, people were killed by the plagues let me give you a little bit of extra information on the screen this series of words sword hunger death the hebrew word bear means pestilence or plague and beasts these four things sword hunger death or pestilences and beasts may be thought of as portraying the progressive deterioration of civilization that follows warfare the ravages of the sword killing men and destroying crops produce hunger. Hunger resulting in the breakdown breakdown of health brings pestilence. And when pestilence has taken its toll, human society is so weakened that it cannot protect itself against the inroads of wild beasts. When applied to a particular period of Christian history, the fourth horseman seems to portray a situation especially characteristic of the period from 538 to 1517 AD, which was the beginning of the Reformation. What was the name of the rider of the pale horse of the fourth seal? And what followed this horse? Two shocking names, friends. The rider's name was Death, and hell followed him. So, friends, the pale horse with the rider Death follows closely, by the grave, Hades or hell in the Great. It is perfect symbolism of the devastating persecution of God's people and the multiplied millions who were destroyed by the sword, by starvation, by wild beasts and other cruel methods. This is the same period covered by the Thyatira church from the sixth through to the 15th centuries the period known as the Dark Ages. This time was so bad that Jesus actually said this period of tribulation would be the worst ever in Matthew 24, 21. For there shall be great tribulation, meaning a great time of trouble, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And even more tragic, it was the church now in apostasy which was persecuting and killing those who differed with her beliefs. This terrible period of tribulation is mentioned other times in the Bible. Daniel 7, 21 and 25. Daniel 12 and verse 7. Revelation 13, verse 5. Revelation 12, 6 and 14. Because it almost destroyed God's true people from the earth. Jesus plans for these martyrs to be closest to him in his new kingdom. There's the good news in Revelation 7, 13 to 17. Let's summarise what we've learned about the fourth seal. It is the pale horse. Its mission is death and terror. The fourth being or beast that calls this forth is the eagle, symbolic of a bird of prey symbolic of persecution and death, the scavenger, the uh, predator. Incidentally, the church now uses death to its most murderous degree because 50 to 100 million people die via the Crusades, via the Inquisition and via Holocaust. Hell is the place of the dead in the underworld and it is fed by plague Famine and sword. The fourth horse actually represents the climax of the medieval church's war on Bible believing Christians, trying to follow God's word via their own consciences. Friends, do you believe history repeats itself? Because I do. And I think that this time is coming again very soon. If not, it may be already here. We are going to move on quickly to seal number five, the souls under the altar. This time period is 1517 to 1755 AD. Please join me in question eight. We're halfway down page four in our study guide. When the fifth seal was opened, what did John see under the altar? And what were these people saying? We go to Revelation chapter six, verses nine and ten. And when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Revelation 6 and verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? When the fifth seal was opened, what did John see under the altar? And what were they saying? These are the souls under the altar. It's the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Friends, these people aren't being killed for stealing something from the local market. They are being slain for taking a strong stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and the truths of God's word as found in the Bible. They cry out, how long, O Lord, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood. You know, here is the symbolism from Moses' altar of burnt offerings. The sacrifice was offered and the blood poured out at the base of the altar. See Leviticus 4.7. In the fifth seal, the blood of the martyred saints cries out symbolically to God like the blood of Abel did after he was slain by his brother uh, Cain in Genesis 4.10. The soul, the word soul, also means life in Job 12.10. And the blood is the life, Deuteronomy 12.23. So soul here refers to the blood or lives of those who'd been slain. Dr. Adam Clark, the noted Methodist commentator, says, the altar is upon the earth, not in heaven. From his book, Unfolding the Revelation, page 69. And Albert Barnes, the famed Presbyterian commentator, says we are not to suppose that this literally occurred, for the whole representation is symbolical, nor are we to suppose that the injured and the wrong actually pray for vengeance on those who have wronged them. That's from his book, Notes on the New Testament, Volume 9, Book of Revelation, page 171. So we're now asking in question nine, how long were the martyrs to rest before they would actually be rewarded? Let's go to Revelation chapter six and verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be rewarded fulfill. How long were the martyrs to rest before being rewarded? They were told they should rest yet for a little season. Let me share with you the note at the top of page five. I direct your attention to the screen. The white robes indicate victory for these martyrs, Revelation 19 verse 8 and Revelation 3 verse 5. Though their victory was already won, they were to rest or sleep in the tomb a little season till Jesus returns and rewards all his saints together at the same time in Revelation 22, verse 12, and Hebrews 11:39 39 and 40. The late George Eldon Ladd, former professor of New Testament theology at Fuller Theological Seminary, USA, says in his Revelation commentary, the fact that John saw the souls of the martyrs under the altar has nothing to do with the state of the dead or their situation in the intermediate state. It is merely a way of picturing the sad fact that they've been martyred in the name of their God, end of quote. Friends, I've summarised this on the screen. After being martyred, these believers were just sleeping in their graves, waiting for the second coming of Christ. Did you know an entire seminar lesson will deal with the subject of our dead loved ones? It is entitled The Keys of Death. Watch for it in session number 13. Friends, the fifth seal covers the same era as the fifth church, Sardis, from the 16th to the mid-18th century. The horrible persecution of the fourth seal continues under the fifth. Jesus said this period of persecution or tribulation would have to be shortened, and indeed it was. It was shortened by the dynamic preaching of Huss, Jerome, Knox, Tyndale, Luther, and other great men of God of the Reformation. Let's take a moment to summarise what we've learned about seal number five, the martyrs. This fifth seal moves from the power of the oppressor to the power of the victims. Isn't that interesting, friends, because that's what's going on in our society at the moment. It just shows you how relevant the Bible is. We are moving from the power of the oppressors to the power of the victims with the Me Too movement. Notice the martyrs have two fervent pleas or cries that ascend up to heaven. Number one, they're asking why? Why are we being persecuted? The answer is they're persecuted, not for their own sins, but for the word of God in Revelation 6 and verse 9. The second plea, the second cry is, how long, O Lord, dost thou not judge and avenge us? It's a tragic cry for a judgment in favor of the saints. Here it is in Revelation 6.10. And what about an answer? Does heaven answer? Does Jesus care? Their answer is found where the judgment or court was seated and the books were open, says the writer Daniel in Daniel 7.10. You know, friends, the harsh truth is to save people on planet Earth, God must judge. Yet the contrary situation today is that today's Christian churches are overemphasizing God's grace, over his justice and christian people today believe that everyone is going to be saved friends we live in a very very serious time right now we live in the time of god's judgment it's on now and soon he will return let's go on to seal number six of seven Seal number six is signs in the heavens. Maybe I should say signs in our heaven. And it runs in the time period with the seven churches parallel from 1755 AD to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our fourth heading is signs in the heavens. Please join me in question number 10. What shocking events take place as the sixth seal opens? We're going to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. And staying here, we're looking at verses 12 and 13. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. I carry on in verse 13. And the stars of the heavens fell under the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken off, a mighty wind. What well, shocking event takes place as the sixth seal opens? Firstly, there's a great earthquake. Notice the order of events. Secondly, the sun becomes black. Thirdly, the moon becomes as blood. And fourthly, it seems that the stars of heaven fall. Now, we are directed to please see exhibit number two for the historical documentation of these signs now if you're watching this online i'm going to ask you if you don't have access to these notes to pause it right now and to read through these notes if you wish but i will briefly go through some of it and illustrate it for you now so i direct your attention to the screen when god made the sun moon and stars at creation he said let them be for signs for seasons and for days and for years That's Genesis 1 and verse 14. So we should not be surprised to find God giving us signs of his return in the heavens. He planned it all from the beginning. So friends, here's a summary slide of what we're going to discover. We're going to discover when the great earthquake came and where it was located. We're going to find out where the dark day took place. We're going to find out what happened when the moon was seen as blood. And we're going to find out more about the falling of the stars using historical events. Well, the first one is the Lisbon-Portugal earthquake, November 1, 1755. We read from the history books, quote, The Sixth Seal opens with great convulsions of the earth. One of the most extensively felt earthquakes ever recorded occurred November 1, 1755. It's sometimes called the Lisbon earthquake because the greater part of that city was destroyed with the loss of between sixty and 90,000 lives. The sea rose to 50 feet above its ordinary level. Friends, I want to tell you that is a pretty serious tsunami the great earthquake of november 1 1755 extended over a tract of at least four million of square miles it pervaded the greater portions of the continents of europe africa and america end of quote that's from robert sears book wonders of the world page 50 and 58 as quoted in unfolding the revelation page 71. So up to this point in human history, this earthquake was probably the greatest natural disaster since Noah's flood. We hurry on to the dark day of North America, where chickens went to roost in the middle of the day. The quote says, almost if not altogether alone as the most mysterious and as yet unexplained phenomenon of its kind in nature's diversified range of events, stands the dark day of May 19, 1780. A most unaccountable darkening of the whole visible heavens and atmosphere in New England. End of quote. R.M. Devon's book, Our First Century, page 89 and page 90. We're at the top of exhibit uh, two and page two. We're looking at the moon red as blood, North America. The night of the dark day was so black a piece of white paper could not be seen when held directly in front of the eyes. People looked for the moon, but like the sun, it was blacked out. At about midnight, the unusual darkness lifted and the moon appeared, but it was as red as blood. Milo Boswick says of this event, quote, the moon was at its full, which was at its full, had the appearance of blood. The alarm that it caused and the frequent talk about it impressed deeply, impressed it deeply on my mind, end of quote. Stone's History of Beverly, Massachusetts. We go on to event number four, the falling of the stars. The morning of November 13, 1833 was rendered memorable by an exhibition of the phenomenon called Shooting Stars, which was probably more extensive and magnificent than any similar one hitherto recorded. Probably no celestial phenomenon has ever occurred in this country since its first settlement, which was viewed with so much admiration and delight by one class of spectators or with so much astonishment and fear by another class. For some time after the occurrence, the meteoric phenomenon was the principal topic of conversation in every circle. Of this great event, Charles A Young, a professor of astronomy at Princeton University said, open quote, probably the most remarkable of all the meteoric showers was that of the Leonids on November 12, 1833. The number was estimated as high as 2 million an hour for five or six hours. End of quote, manual of astronomy, page 469. Friends, the heavens were ablaze with falling stars and people thought surely it was the judgment day. Of the extent of visibility of this meteoric display, we read in the Encyclopedia Americana under article Meteors as follows, this spectacle witnessed through North America excited the greatest interest. Hundreds of thousands of shooting stars fell. Some observers compared their number to the flakes of a snowstorm or to the raindrops in a shower. The spectacle was of the sublimest order. It began about nine o'clock in the evening and continued until well after midnight. Elijah Barrett says the most sublime phenomenon of shooting stars, November 13, 1833, covered no inconsiderable portion of the Earth's surface, covering the entire vault of heaven with myriads of fireballs. That's in geography of the heavens, page 157. Within a little over a half century after darkening of the sun and the moon, this most remarkable of all meteoric showers took place. If you're noticing the dates there, this was happening on November 12 and then as midnight passed it went on to happen on November 13. Friends when God's great prophetic clock strikes the hour events as predicted took place like the great earthquake like the dark day and like the moon seen as blood and then the falling of the stars exactly in the same order as recorded in this sixth seal. Would you join me with question 11 at the top of page six in our study guide? Thank you so much. The next momentous event under the sixth seal is the second coming of Jesus. Hallelujah. Some good news. Read the graphic description in Revelation 6, 14 to 17. Why do the unsaved call for the rocks and mountains to fall on them? And so we go to Revelation 6 14 to 16. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. It means its sky split open. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. This is a massive earthquake. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, and every bondman, meaning everyone, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb comes to protect his people and destroy those who've been killing, the saints of God. Finally, in Revelation 6, verse 17, for the great day of the Lamb's wrath, which is his white-hot anger against sin, is come, and the question is raised, and who shall be able to stand? So why did the unsaved call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them? Very simply, they do not want to see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, who they've betrayed, they've blasphemed, and they've rejected. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand it unless they have a living relationship with Jesus Christ? Friends, I'd like to just pause a moment and encourage every one of you who are faithfully taking time out of your day to spend time in God's word. I know that some of you are taking up to an hour in the morning for family worship or for private worship. I know that many of you are taking another hour in the evening and that you are memorizing scripture, that you are sharing God's word with the children. Friends, I want to tell you that every moment you spend building your heart and life and mind into the kingdom of heaven will pay dividends in the great time of trouble to come. And I want to encourage you that as you build a stronger relationship with Jesus, you will have more strength, courage and resilience to stand firm no matter what the devil throws at you. And I want to thank Jesus that he loves us and he has a plan for our lives and he's going to rescue us from this mess on planet Earth. Let me share with you the note under question 11. It is indeed sobering to realise that we are now living between verse 13 and 14 of the sixth seal of Revelation chapter 6. Let me pause there, have a look on the screen. I somehow think this could come up in the quiz. Are you very, very sure and have you worked out that we are living today not in the seventh seal, but we're living in the time of the sixth seal? There's my quiz hint for the night. Friends, did you know it's been 150 years since the last sign, the falling of the stars? The next sign is about to appear. And here it is in Matthew 24, 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The majority of planet Earth are not ready for Jesus coming. And they reject it please note that the sixth seal covers the same time period of both the sixth and seventh churches philadelphia and laodicea from about the middle of the 18th century to the coming of jesus christ friends it's a lot easier if we get a context for these two great prophecies the seven churches and the seven seals. So here are the seven time periods of Revelation. They're parallel prophecies that each help interpret the other. Notice the seven churches, Revelation 1 to 3. Here are the Christian churches spreading God's message, and it's about their spiritual condition and God's care for his church. So the seven seals, Revelation 4 to chapter 8, verse 1 is the message, and it's the present truth and the conditions surrounding its proclamation in the political history of the Christian church. So notice the parallels here. They're amazing. There's Ephesus, a pure church, and there's the first seal, which is what kind of a horse? A white horse, a pure message spread as the gospel goes out. The second phase is the church of Smyrna, a church faithful in tribulation. And the second seal, a red horse, a message spread amongst killing. Remember, that Smyrna period is during the reign of Domitian. And he is the one who was killing God's people. And that was the time 302 to 313 um, AD when God's people were being slaughtered. Then there's the third period, the time of Pergamus, a church amidst corruption, and the third seal, a black horse, a message warning of compromise and corruption. The fourth fourth time was Thyatira, a church with a false prophet, and the fourth seal, the pale horse, a message in the midst of spiritual darkness and death, led by a church that was a false prophet. The fifth time period is the time of Sardis, a church barely alive. And then in the fifth seal, the martyrs are barely alive because they've died. They're crying out for justice and they want a message and call on God to bring them change and vindication. The sixth time period is Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love. It's a faithful, loving church. And this parallels to the sixth seal where there is signs of nature and a message that Jesus is coming is near because he's coming back to rescue us, because he loves us. And the seventh time period is Laodicea, a church in judgment, with the seventh seal, the final events, a message, of final warning to the world. So this is the time of the sealing of God's servants, the time of the pre-advent judgment, which is 1844 to the close of probation. We then have the second coming, and then we have eternity. We note there the overcomer's rule, from the seven churches in 321 of Revelation, Jesus' kingdom is on. Then, in terms of the seven seals, the redeemed reign, and that's Revelation 5, 9, and 10, and Jesus' kingdom is supreme. So, what do we learn as we summarize the sixth seal? We learned about the cosmic chaos. Did you remember that the sixth seal moved from the trampled victims to their guilty oppressors? So it's moved from the oppressors to the victims and back to the oppressors. Fascinating, isn't it? Then we learn that the sixth seal is when God comes to save his true people and God must destroy, of course, the wicked and the earth before he can create the earth anew. So the frail earth revolts from the pandemic of sin via an earthquake, a dark day, and the mighty star shower over the Nations and countries of Europe, Africa, Asia, and the United States of America. Also, at this time, the French Revolution and the Great Reformation has neutralized the threat of the medieval church against God's true people. God's wrath now invades the earth as the King of the universe comes to judge those who are killing his people. And finally, to those who reject Jesus Christ, they want to flee and hide in the rocks and mountains, but though to those who love him, they will rejoice. And I hope you will be amongst those who've chosen to look for the Lord Jesus Christ and have a life in him. Well, that takes us to our fifth heading of six, the seal of God. We're asking the question, who shall be able to stand, is the question. The lost will cry out in terror at Jesus' second coming. Jesus interrupts before opening the seventh seal and spends the entire seventh chapter to tell us who will be ready. So Revelation chapter seven is an aside from the seven seals. It's um, sharing with us the composition and description of the 144,000, the special group in heaven made up of martyrs and saints. And then there is another great multitude beside them in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, it's worth reading. We're in question 12, to be ready, what must first be received from the angel? I'm going to add in verse 1, we're going to Revelation 7, 1 to 3. Here are the four angels holding back the winds of strife just before Jesus comes. We're in Revelation 7, 1 to 3. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Why not? Verse two and three will tell us. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, that's the direction God comes, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees till we've sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Friends, that work that the angels are going to do to hurt the earth and the trees and the sea is the work of the seven what? The final seven, that's right, the seven last plagues. To be ready, what must first be received from the angel? Uh, We must receive the seal. They must be sealed. Uh, We must be sealed by the seal of God. So we've sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. The people who be ready for Jesus' coming must first receive God's seal or sign in their foreheads. Do you know what this sign is? Our next seminar lesson explains what this imperative sign is and what could be more important. You know, God has graciously given many other signs which describe the days just before Jesus' coming. Please prayerfully review exhibit number three, which lists many of these signs. Now, friends, I've been asked that there's always been wars, rumours of wars, famines, earthquakes, uh, pestilences, plagues. So how would we know when Jesus is coming? Friends, there is a future X time. The X time is when all of those signs converge together. And I believe right now we're living in a time of wars and rumours of wars and uh, also uh, plagues Epidemics and earthquakes and famines. Is not that really happening right now? It absolutely is, isn't it? Well, we're going to hurry on to question 13. The gospel must go to every person on earth before Jesus comes in Revelation 14, 6 and Matthew 24, 14. What happens as soon as all have heard the gospel in Revelation 14, 14? Let's start off with the first angel's message. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Friends, the everlasting gospel is the good news that Jesus loves you and he has died to save you and he's coming back to rescue you. So this will go around the world and we live in this time. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel, the gospel is the good news of the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. We're asking the second question, what happens as soon as all have heard this gospel? We go to Revelation 14, 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, Yes, friends, this is the second coming. Having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. So what happens as soon as all have heard the gospel? The answer is that Jesus doesn't have to wait any longer. The judgment finishes in heaven and Jesus comes in the clouds. Friends, the note says this. The gospel is sweeping across the earth like a grass fire in the wind. Friends, I want to tell you that the gospel is going out strongly, and we have a number of um, satellite channels around the world, and one of them is the Three Angels Broadcasting Network, known as 3ABN. Another one is the Amazing Discoveries Channel, which has a multitude of subchannels on it. It can be accessed via um, satellite and television or via the internet. There's a third channel, which is known as Hope Channel. And that is also a powerful medium. Then there is all of the ministries on YouTube which take the gospel around the earth. And one that's gaining prominence, prominence at this time is Messengers of Present Truth Ministries International. So, friends, God is getting out the gospel around the world, and people are hearing about what is happening in the last days that Jesus is about to return. Question 14, I cannot know the day or hour of Jesus' return, Matthew 24, 36, but what can I know as I look for the signs? In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said, but no man knoweth the day or the hour. So what can we know? We go to Matthew 24 and verse 33. Jesus said, so likewise ye, when ye or you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. What are all these things, friends? All these things are the signs. Just like when we see those blossoms on the gum trees, we are aware that we're in spring and very soon summer will be here. What can I know as I look at all the signs of Jesus coming? Know that his coming is near. It's even at the doors. Possibly the best illustration of that is that someone rings you up and asks if they can come around. And you say sure when would you like to come around they say well right now i'm at your front door ringing you on my mobile come out and see me friends that could be a pleasant wonderful surprise if it's the right people it could be a devastating shock if you are not ready friends this is no guesswork that jesus is coming he's even at the doors and we can know that it is very near we are hurrying on to our final seal as we close. Seal number seven is silence in God's heaven. Let's go to question 15. What happened when the seventh seal was open? Revelation 8 and verse 1. And when Jesus had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Friends, this is familiar to us. We have covered this before. In fact, friends, we covered it in Revelation session number six on the second coming of Jesus. So I answered there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, people are actually asking, how long is that? And so we went through this in number six. So very quickly, if you understand the principle that one prophetic day stands for one year, we then would divide a year of 365 days by 24 hours, giving us one hour is 15.21 days. Therefore, half an hour is roughly seven and a half days, as we said in Revelation Seminar lesson number six. The note says, this silence takes place at the time of Jesus coming. Heaven is silent because it's empty. All the angels come with Jesus in Matthew 25:31, And that's why. It is so silent. It's the time of the seventh seal. Friends, let's have a summary of our last seal. Why is there a silent heaven? Well, it's interesting. This seventh seal moves from Earth's chaos, its cries, fear, disaster and judgments by its people, to the contrasting silence in heaven, chaos to silence. This lasts for a good half hour or seven and a half days as Jesus and all the angels empty heaven and they come down to planet earth. The week of silence at the end of time echoes the week of silence at creation's beginning in Genesis chapter one. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus now returns to earth to rescue his people from their oppressors. The silence of heaven results from all the angels coming to earth to reunite the resurrected and redeemed families and put the families back together. Later, after 1,000 years judgment in heaven, comes the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, in other words, a new world. We're in question 16 at the bottom of page 7. How should we react when we review the signs of Jesus' return in Luke 21 and verse 28? These are the words of Jesus when he said, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Friends, a lot of Christians have very long faces and I don't know why. They forgot to look up and put a smile on their faces. Friends, we need to be joyful because as we look up, we realize that Jesus is about to come. We are the generation that may most probably see Jesus Christ coming in the clouds. God willing. So our most exciting thought should be of our Lord's second coming. Question 17, top of page 8. What is Jesus delighted to do for us if we ask him? I love Jude 24 and 25. Now unto him, Jesus, that is able to keep you from falling. What does that mean? Falling over? No, it's a spiritual context. It's falling into sin and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Let all the people say, Amen. What a beautiful promise that is. What is Jesus delighted to do for us? If we ask him, he will keep us from falling, into sin and temptation and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy and that he does in that last great judgment hour friends jesus guarantees us a place in his kingdom if we follow where he leads and that takes us to our last uh lesson question tonight about silence in heaven you know friends what god has got for us in outer space is absolutely incredible isn't this absolutely beautiful so jesus wants to take you on that fabulous space journey from earth to heaven will you decide now to follow where he leads so he can lead you on that trip friends i'm putting my name down there i'm saying yes i want that because friends i want to be with jesus and i know that that is the most important decision i can ever make if your answer tonight is you're not sure or maybe no, but you're not sure where you're going to end up, then let me give you a hint on the screen. We are going to cover in a few lessons time about the lake of fire and hell. And I want to tell you that it's much better to be with Jesus than to be with the devil in the lake of fire. We started with uh, we started with five discovery points tonight. Number one. We asked who are the riders on the four horses and what's your answer? Your answer would be they are, that's right, they're angels or they are spirit beings. What are the colors of the four horses in correct order? Can you remember? Number one, number two, number three, and number four, they are white, red, black, and pale. And what does each colour mean? Well, white stood for purity. Red was bloodshed. Black was darkness and pale stood for the pallor of death. Where were the martyrs when their blood cried out to God? Friends, very simply, the martyrs were sleeping in their graves till Jesus returned, but their blood was crying out to God as Abel's was, but Abel was dead. Question number five, which seal of one to seven are we living in right now? Well, the logical answer would be the seventh seal. But the answer is no, we are not. We are living at the very end of the sixth seal, very close to the end and the end of the seventh seal. Friends, I want to tell you that the whole point of the seven seals, if you are finding it hard to remember all that information, it's very, very simple. The main point of the seven seals are that Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. Are you going to be ready? I'm hoping and praying that you will be. So it's wonderful for all those who are still doing the quiz. And we have two response questions, number one. The book of Revelation is making more sense all the time. If you are getting more of a grasp on God's word and especially the book of Revelation, I'm asking you to place a tick in box number one. No like to look at those envelopes as they come in. Number two, do you want to receive God's grace and sense your need for Jesus Christ to be your personal savior? Then please place a tick in box number two. Tonight, our quiz questions are just true or false. And they might be all one way or they might be all the other way. How's that for a hint? Question number one, we're now living during the sixth seal. Is that true or false? Put your answer in now. Lock it in. Thank you. And your answer is, we're now living during the sixth seal. The answer is true. Number two, the next event to happen after the sixth seal is the absolute return of Jesus Christ. True or false? Lock in your answer now. And the answer is? True. Number three, those who shall be able to stand at Jesus' coming are the ones who receive the seal of God in their foreheads, as in Revelation 7, 1 to 3, which we looked up. Is that answer true or false? Lock it in. And the answer is true. Number four, the everlasting gospel is rapidly sweeping across the earth and soon Jesus will return. The answer is true. And number five, the silence of the seven seal indicates that all the angels come with Jesus to gather his faithful followers from off the earth. True or false, lock it in. And the answer is true. All right, we'll give yourself a score out of five. Let's have a look at our Revelation seminar, Wall of Truth. Tonight, we've studied the seven seals, which contain the four horsemen of the apocalypse or the revelation. And we learn tonight about the church's political history. Also we're going to look at in our next session, number 10, the seal of the living God. In session 11, we're looking at the day of the sun, Sunday. And in session 12, two worldwide messengers. So I'm asking you to make sure that you take time to prepare the lesson in Revelation, seal of God, which is lesson number 10. It's a fascinating one. And I want to tell you it's very, very important. And here's why. We're going to find out who is the one who seals us, We need to be sealed to be able to make it to the kingdom of heaven. Where is the mark or the seal actually placed on us? This is very important for those who are concerned about the mark of the beast versus the seal of God. Number three, name the three main parts of a seal. Very important to know what they are. Number four, what does the word Shabbat or Sabbath mean? And number five, what three things did God do after making the Sabbath day. I want to thank you so much for joining us for Revelation seminar lesson number nine, the Four Horsemen of Revelation, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this amazing time we've spent together in this session. I thank you for revealing to us all of these truths that Jesus is coming back soon. Thank you for everything you've done for us by dying on the cross, by giving us your word. May we remain true and faithful as we follow Jesus all the way into the kingdom of heaven. I ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Let all the people say amen. Friends, I just want to thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. It's been an absolute um, privilege and a pleasure to be able to share this um, material with you. And uh, I look forward to you joining us on our next adventure together. And I say thank you, and I'll see you next time in Session 10. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA. All one word, that's True Blue SDA.